unencumbered by political correctness, undeterred in her mission to spread the truth, unafraid to be a true conservative. She's unapologetic, uncompromising, unwavering, and an undeniably powerful voice when we need it most. This is Rose Unplugged. Mike Landau is the sponsor of this podcast, and I would ask that you please support him as I am able to bring you these podcasts because of his support of me. You know, he's always looking for ways to solve everyday problems. Did you ever pick up a towel, bring it home and find out it's not really as soft as you thought it was? As a matter of fact, when you go to use it, it's not even very absorbent. That's not the case with the six-piece sets that he has right now. 100% long-lasting, terrific towels. I have these and they are just made of this cotton that make the towel softer and more absorbent than ever. And they actually dry you. So right now you can receive a six-piece set for only $29.98. That is really good. But use my promo code ROSE. This amazing offer of only $29.98 on the six-piece set of MyPillow towels. Go to MyPillow.com slash ROSE or MyPillow.com and click on the radio podcast specials. Enter promo code ROSE. Because I had such a great and overwhelming response to the last time I had this guest on, I wanted to invite him back again because he brought such peace to my listeners. And I want to reintroduce you to Phil Hudson-Piller. He's a pastor. He's the founder of the Influence Church in Anaheim, California, and he's the author of many books, but his recent one, and the one we talked about and we're going to go more in-depth with, is Midnight in America. So, Phil, thank you so much for joining us again today. Oh, thank you, Rose. Great to be back with you, and I'm glad that our previous uh, interview was beneficial to your audience, and hopefully we can hit another home run. You know, I think we will with you, particularly where you went with this book. When we first talked, the very last podcast we did, we did so right before everything unfolded in Israel. And you talked about how prophecy was meant to bring peace to us. You talked about how the the times that we see ourselves in are not out of control, but they are falling into place. So not falling apart, but falling into place. And that brought today to my women's Bible study and to others that I've been hearing back from after they've listened to that podcast, that brought such peace to people. So we didn't even know that this was going to happen in Israel. And yet you had just perfect timing when you talked about the things that you did. And I thought maybe because your book actually takes a very in-depth look at Israel and the sequence of events to come. So I thought we should have you back and talk a little more now that we've seen what's happened in Israel and all of the other things now that are falling into place, as you have said. Yeah, well, I mean, there is no shortage of material right now. Mm -hmm. um, And what's happening, obviously, just from a pure human standpoint is tragic. I think everyone would agree with that. Um, of, of course, except Hamas, they seem to be reveling in this uh, evil. I thought one of the most interesting things that was said by the prime minister of Israel was that Hamas is ISIS. Oh. And we kind of go back uh, a few years. That would have been about 2017. ISIS had taken control of what is ancient Nineveh, and they were following many of the practices of the Assyrian power at the time. It was the most ruthless and brutal. And remember, it, it was the uh, the prophet Jonah who didn't want to go back and prophesy because the Assyrians were so evil, and they practiced, uh, you know, decapitation and would kill women and children. 
and all of these things. And what I said was um, back in 2017, I said, what, what's happening in our world, and a lot of people don't recognize this, but I bring it out in my earlier book, One Nation Without God, is that demonic spirits are territorial. In other words, they inhabit geographical places and they repeat same kind of things. When I said that, I was challenged. And I said, well, let's just take a look at what happened with President Kennedy was shot uh, in uh, November of 1973. But remember, the Dallas police ambush happened in 2016, and it was only about 100 meters from the same location. Now, I'm going to give you three real ones. Then we're going to talk about Hamas, and we're going to talk about Gaza. Okay, so let's go let's fast forward to the Olympic Games. And that was the Arab Black September terrorist group that took control. And there they they basically took 11 Israeli athletes as hostage and later murdered them. Okay, now fast forward, July 22, 2016, there was, uh, they tore that entire village down because of that incident. And they rebuilt a shopping mall there. And there was a man who at that, at that particular time in 2016, three shooters began to fire on employees at that and killing nine people, including a 15-year-old girl and wounding 36 bystanders. Okay, mm-hmm. one more. So the same thing happened during World War II, and a bomb was dropped. It was the largest uh, attack by Nazi Germany and in Great Britain, and that was the site of the bombing of the Ariana Grande a concert, and remember the bombs were there and the people were killed. So all of them were within 100 meters of the exact same thing, almost exactly the same kind of things happened. So I began to ask the question about Gaza. So if we go back in our history, in our Bibles in Gaza, what do we know about Gaza? Well, the, the, the biggest thing that probably comes to most people's mind is Samson. And remember, Samson was taken by Delilah, basically under the rouge of false pretenses. Mm -hmm. He was blinded by the Philistines. He was taken to the temple, and it was there that he pulled down the temple on the Philistines and their false gods. And the the territory was supposed to be given to Judah, but they were never able to really take control of it, and even the Romans could not take control of it. It was also the place where the Philistines, when the Ark of the Covenant was taken, it was them that played tribute back to try to bring about some kind of sanity in their world because they had violated the God of Israel. What's my point? Point is Gaza is a seedbed of demonic activity. What you see happening there is a reoccurrence, yes, of ISIS, because demonic spirits tend to operate in the same kind of way. Wow. You know, I hadn't thought about that, but the Philistines did live in what's today Gaza. I, I didn't think about that. Yeah, and it and in biblical history, I mean, it, it's really fascinating. Also, remember, this is something a lot of people don't know. Article 7 of the Hamas Covenant states, the day of judgment will not come about until the Muslims fight the Jews. When the Jews will hide behind the stones and trees, the stones and trees will say, oh, Muslims, oh, Adullah, there is a Jew behind me, come and kill me. Yes. And only the, only the Gargad tree would not do that because it was one of the trees of the Jews. So basically, we have a repeat of, of the uh, Quran in Article 7 of, the, of Hamas saying it is our duty to kill all Jews. My gosh. And you know what else? When you talked about them, that demons are territorial, think about what the angel told Daniel. He said, I was delayed because of yep. the prince of Persia, right? So there, uh-huh. I mean, we, there are appointed 
areas, geographical areas, apparently, according to that scripture, if you think about it in Daniel, that are territorial in terms of demons and so forth. And I, and I think we've all had that experience where we've been in a city and it just felt dark. You know, we didn't know why. Maybe yes. it was even familiar city. And then another part of the city, it didn't feel that way. And that's a spiritual dimension. We pick up on that wow. and we know that. Um, Jesus had the experience in Luke 8 with the demon-possessed man. And remember, he was filled with legions. Jesus cast the demons out. And the region, the, the region we're so familiar with that contentment, they asked, they asked Jesus to leave. They said, Jesus, you need to leave. Wow. Because a demon-possessed man was better than a loss of income. And so we see how these dynamics play out throughout Scripture. What's my point? My point is it's possible in a, in a region, in a city, in a neighborhood, or in a household to entertain seducing spirits and doctrines of demons. So what do we do as believers? I think the, the great thing that we can do is in our own home begin with saying, you know what, I want to walk holy before God. I want to put on my spiritual armor. I want to put on the helmet of salvation, take up the sword of the Spirit, all of those things of Ephesians 6. And I want to pray for the binding of the strong man, that is the spiritual forces of wickedness, over my town, my neighborhood, my city, my nation. And when you ha- when there's a vacuum occurs in your own household or in your own life, darkness tends to fill those vacuums. So I think when we look at our prayer for Jerusalem, you know, Psalm 122, when we look at our prayer for Jerusalem, let's look at it with a spiritual set of eyes and saying that we have to, we're having to do battle on behalf of um, humanity right now, Mm -hmm. because both sides are suffering greatly because of Hamas. Yes. It's all Hamas. And and let's keep our eye on the ball. Let's keep our eye on the ball here. Um, and then there's the big picture of prophetic stuff. So we can talk about that as well. Well, yeah. And when you think about it, well, first of all, I, there is a distinction that can be made. I mean, Hamas is the puppet government uh, that, I, you know, it's, it all goes back to Iran. And when you think about, Pastor Phil, all of the tie-ins right now, I don't think there's been any other time in history where you can say, oh, I am really starting to see all of this because we really are watching things unfold right now. Are we not biblical? Oh, we are. And and I think I mentioned in our last uh, talk that I I have a chapter where I I look at what has happened. What are the the prophecies that are fulfilled that relate to a one world government, the return of Christ. And I chronicle about nine of those major ones that have taken place and I really began, the, the really big one began in 1948. So what I'm talking about is things that have happened since 1948, Israel became a nation. Right. And that's when that prophetic clock began to tick. So when you can look and verify things historically by the prophetic word of Scripture, that brings your faith level way up. You say, wait a minute, I'm not in this alone. I'm not the mercy of evil people around the world, whether it's, you know, uh, Hezbollah, Hamas, or one of these other groups. No, you're still under the watch care of a sovereign, almighty God when you walk in faithfully in the, in the spirit of God. You know, and you bring, and that's so important, uh, an issue to discuss right now, because 
when we look at the sign of the times, we are not to be faint of heart. We are, as you said, to look at prophecy as hope, because of course it, it leads us to the greatest hope of all, right? Our redemption, and it draws nearer. But but when we are here, it, there's a there's there's a reason, Pastor Phil, that you and I and those listening to this podcast are here. We have a purpose. We were meant to be here. It's not by mistake. It's not a coincidence. We were meant to be here. So if that is true, and it must be, then are we just occupying or are we really determined to find out what it is that God needs us to do in this time? Oh, yeah, for sure. And I think let's just use an analogy. Uh, Israel leaves Egypt uh, under unusual circumstances, the 10 plagues. They go out, they cross the Red Sea, major miracle. They wander 40 years in the wilderness, <laughs> which had to be very you know, uncomfortable. But at the same time, it says, their feet did not grow sore. Their shoes did not wear out. Mm. They all—they never lacked for food. They never lacked for water. At times, it looked like they were, but God always provided. And I think whenever God, whenever God is bringing wrath upon a nation, like He did Egypt, um, remember that God always has a remnant that He preserves. The same analogy could be used of Moses when there was infanticide going on by the Pharaoh, and Moses was protected. Or Noah on the ark, he was protected with, with his family of eight. And so remember that God is always a protector God of those who are in covenant with him. You're right. That's a good point. And it is good to remember that. And again, that gives us hope as well. Nothing really to be fearful of. And when you, you know, I want to ask you what you think about when we take a look at the nations surrounding Israel. Now we've got Lebanon involved Syria. I mean, when you look at all of this, even Iran, because I mean, they are significant too in Bible history, right? This is, mm-hmm. this is so very significant. And, and you kind of used to wonder how would this all play out? How could we possibly get to that point? But you can certainly see that happening right now because there is a significance in these particular countries, isn't there? There is a definite tie-in to prophecy and to biblical history. Yeah, absolutely. And I think one of the things that's, um, really interesting and, and we, we this is where we keep our eye on the ball so to speak we say okay does the bible say anything about these particular countries or any of them that surround israel in a prophetic word that is yet to be fulfilled and the answer is absolutely yes okay and the yes comes in the term in terms of ezekiel 38 and uh we like to refer to it as the magog invasion um but it basically says this it, it talks about in the first few verses there about Magog, which is the ancient name of Russia. Mm-hmm. And then it goes on to name some other players that by their ancient names, for example, Persia. Well, we, we know Persia was renamed Iran. Mm-hmm. A lot of people don't know it was renamed Iran at the re, uh, suggestion of the German ambassador because Iran means Aryan people. And see, the Persians are not Arabs. They're Aryans, and that's why one of the best-selling books in Iran is Adolf Hitler's Mein Kemp. Oh, my god! So it is a very anti-Jewish country who is determined to wipe Israel off the face of the earth. Now, there's another country there, and it's said to be Ethiopia. But it's not Ethiopia of Africa. It's Ethiopia of Sudan. That was used many times, and if you study these, some of these uh, you know, particular countries, you can kind of follow it. Then Libya, of course, that's the same as we have today. 
and then Gomer, which is Germany, to Garma, which is Turkey. So this makes up this coalition of forces that align themselves against Israel in the latter days. Well, what do we see today? Well, we definitely see Iran behind the scene on this one. Yes, absolutely. Uh, no doubt on that one. Um, we don't, we don't, Germany seems to be cooperating. They've uh, just released some of their drones uh, to help Israel. So they're not in the game. Turkey is a little bit quiet. Um, they're going to kind of stay in the back. Russia is probably working behind the scenes with Iran um, because they remember they expelled the Jews in 1972 from the Soviet Union. It was a great persecution, and they didn't realize the consequence of, of releasing all of those brilliant minds out of their country. And that's what led to really the downfall of the Soviet Union and the bankruptcy of that country. So I look at this and say it's too early to ascribe this to Ezekiel 38, but it's a great time to sharpen our pencil, go back, take a look at some of these things, because Ezekiel tells us in that chapter, it'll be in the latter days when you're back in the land. So we know this prophecy has to be fulfilled from 1948 moving forward, because they're back in the land and they're living in relative safety. So these are some of the things we kind of do when we, when we look at prophecy and try to line things up and see what happens. And we do know when you were talking about Russia, for example, that for a very long time, Russia has been courting Islamist militants. We, we have heard that a Hamas leader and maybe some other officials made recent trips to Moscow. I find that very, very interesting, but not surprising. Yeah. In the Ezekiel passage, it says that the armies that come up against Israel in the latter days, four-fifths of their, of their armies will be lost. So you basically have devastated, you know, Islamic armies from various countries in this battle, which, in my opinion, then that gives way for the peace agreement that will come with the Antichrist yes. and the rebuilding of a Jewish temple, because it says every wall in Jerusalem will fall down. That means even the Western Wall wow. and the mosques lie down in the Kidron Valley and they'll rebuild a Jewish temple that will later be occupied midway through the tribulation by the Antichrist when he takes a seat in the temple of God, according to First Thessalonians. Let me see if I'm following this correctly then. And by the way, I just want everyone to know who I'm talking to, Pastor Phil Hotzenpiller, and he is the pastor of Influence Church in Anaheim, California, but the author of many books. I mean, his recent one that is not out yet, but you can pre-order, I did already, that's Midnight in America. But we're kind of talking a little bit, too, about one of your other books. Yeah, that, that one is One Nation Without Law. One Nation and Without Law. And I, I was doing a, a TV show on the History Channel, and I was the biblical expert, and they had various different experts from different fields about talking about the end of the world. And the producer turned off the camera and said, okay, what scares you? What keeps you up at night? And I said, and I didn't have to think about it. I just said, when lawlessness marches on a base down Main Street, uh, little did we know that it would only be a couple of years later after I wrote that book that we would see the bias, we would see the, the total lawlessness that now has evolved into just unrestrained stealing, stores being closed, defunding police, all of those things. Lawlessness is so significant because the Antichrist is called the man of lawlessness. That's amazing. That's right. The man of lawlessness. You know, a couple of things here, and if you don't mind just kind of holding my hand and walking me through this, because I do want to try to understand it. And people, you know, love talking about this and they're fascinated by it. If we're looking at some sort of not timeline, but just the signs of the times, and we're talking about 
the the war that we're seeing right now unfold, and I think it's going to go on a long time. I could be wrong, but I'm just sensing that it could. That we're seeing that other, all of a sudden, and it happened so quickly, Pastor Phil. We see other countries kind of like joining in in this battle against Israel. We know that Hamas leaders met in Moscow. So we know that there's this tie-in already. We're starting to see it, the army from the north, from Russia, and we're seeing all the other countries surrounding Israel. I'm trying to understand like the a timeline according to Bible prophecy. So this certainly mm-hmm. is probably the beginning of those battles. Am I right? Help me figure this yeah. out. And I, yeah. And I think the, um, the one thing that, and I'm going to actually send you some charts that you can take a look at okay. and uh, you can kind of get uh, an idea on this prophetic clock and this timeline. Okay. Because one timeline you can fill in the gaps with other information you already know and say, oh, this is this, this is that, and this, these are how all these things work. So, you know, if we look at it from like the prophetic clock, I go back to one of the most significant things is uh, in your Bible is Matthew 24. So if, if your audience will just open up 24 and read it, they're going to get in one chapter a great deal of information. Now, they may not know how it all works, the win of it, but this is at least going to give you. The disciples said, uh, what will be the sign of, sign of your of your return and the end of the age? So they were asking questions, you know, 2,000 years ago about what's going on. One of the things he says, you're going to see wars and rumors of wars. Um, you're going to see nation against nation and kingdom against kingdom. Now, that's really significant, that nation against nation, kingdom against kingdom, because remember, at the time of Jesus, they weren't nations and kingdoms. Okay. They were really tribal conflicts. So the first time we ever see this this kingdom against kingdom, nation against nation war was World War One. So in my Bible, I just marked down in my column, Matthew 24, 7, World War One. That seems to line up most with what Jesus was talking about. Okay. Okay, then we also know that Israel becomes a nation in 1948. So, okay, now we've got another pinpoint because we know Isaiah 66, 8 tells us that can a nation be born in a day? And that's referring to Israel literally becoming and declaring a day. Okay, so we keep moving down. We, We have something called the law of return. This was established in 1950 in Israel, and the idea was that a Jew anywhere in the world could immigrate to Israel because of their Jewish lineage, that is, their bloodline. Well, that's a fulfillment of Isaiah 43. So you see what I'm doing here? I'm I'm taking you through Scripture, and then we've got the Six-Day War, which is the first time that Israel has regained um, the, you know, the, the temple Mount. Yes. Um, that, that was, uh, Luke chapter 21, 24. Then we got Jeremiah 23 talks about the expulsion of the Russian Jews that happened in 1970, uh, through about 1972. Then we have the, the airlift. You had like the, uh, I, I can't remember all of them. I think they were called the Solomon airlift. And I, it was, uh, look, can I tell you something? I actually days. met the pilots when I was flying, I was doing a documentary, uh, in Israel and I was a guest of the Israeli government. The flight that I was on the plane I was on, it just so happened that the pilots were the pilots who helped fly those Ethiopian Jews out and I got well, to sit in the amazing. cockpit and interview them, and it was it was just fascinating to talk to them. It really was. Yeah, and well, that's a fulfillment of Zephaniah 3. So what I'm really doing is I'm kind of walking through 
and then a prophetic clock. And then the other thing that's important and, and helpful is the chart, the chart that kind of shows a timeline, like where are we, what's next, what's going to happen, and those and those kind of things. Because I think what what we have a hard time putting our arms around sometimes is just kind of the win. And we want to know the win of things. You know, when is this going to happen and what's next and where do I find that in Scripture? That way I can kind of put it together. So what I've done in that chart that I've sent you is I give you kind of some of these things we've just been talking about, uh, about the rapture, about the tribulation, the great tribulation, battle of Armageddon, etc. So I think the big picture stuff you start with, then you can kind of fill in the gaps and say, oh, if we're living here, what does Bible say that we might be seeing coming next? Okay. And then what does God have to say about, and who's that involved in that? So so I, hopefully that's helpful in just kind of walking through some big picture stuff. I'll post that. The red heifer, I've you know, we hear about that and read about that. What is the significance of that, though? I never truly understood it from uh, Numbers 19. Well, yeah, the, and th- this is so interesting because of, of what's recently happened. So uh, the, the scripture, basically, the idea within Judaism is that the red heifer is an anomaly of nature, meaning that they're just not common. So... Uh, you'll find a red heifer, but it'll have a, a gray hair, a white hair, oh, black blemished. hair, whatever. That's what they mean by blemished, okay. right? Right. So the red heifer that was spotless was sacrificed, okay? And the ashes of the red heifer were used of the cleansing of the temple. So you could build another temple. You could get everything in place, but if you couldn't cleanse it, you couldn't carry out the, the sacrifices of the Old Testament. So what happened was when the you know, the temple was burned down by Titus in 70 AD. Uh, the one thing that remained uh, in our present day, because they've already got the architectural plans, they've got, uh, they've already got the priesthood lined out. They've got everything in place except for the red heifer and the actual building of the new temple, which we know will be built and will function under the Jewish sacrificial during the tribulation period. Okay. So what they, so uh, Rabbi Richmond said that that they're not permitted to restore worship until the ashes of the red heifer, and they're mixed with purified water to store restore ritual purity and cleanliness to the whole uh, sacrificial system. Okay, hmm. so Maimonides, who is a who is a Jewish scholar, he said there were only nine red heifers since uh, that have been used to prepare the purifying water. So what they would do is they get these ashes. They would set them aside. They didn't have to, to do this every year. They just need some of the ashes to do that. And that's Numbers 19.2. Okay? Mm-hmm. So, significance. Okay, this is a lot of stuff. This is like a fire hose, Rose. <laughs> Thank you. you that's fascinating. I'm in. Okay, so in Ezekiel 36, and remember, 36 is significant. Why? Because in 37... Is the is the Valley of Dry Bones Israel coming back together? And thirty eight is this great conflict we've just talked about. So what does it say in thirty six? He says, "I will take you from among the nations, I will gather you out of all countries." So this is the bringing Israel back together. Right. Okay. The the diaspora where they spread Israel all over the world. Basically, he said, "I'm going to bring you back, and I will sprinkle clean water on you." And you shall be clean. What is that a reference to? That's a reference to the purified water and the ashes, the red heifer. Then I will cleanse you from all filthiness and all your idols, and I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. Right? 
Then we see Zacharias. We're tying this in Zechariah 13.1. In that day, a fountain shall be opened up for the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and uncleanliness. Okay. So when the red heifer's body was completely burned, its ashes turned white. And they mixed it with pure water. And guess what it was called? Living water. Wow. Now think about that. Jesus said, I am the living water. Yes. He was, he was saying in essence... For those of you Jews who can remember this and relate to this, I am the purity that brings purity to your life. Wow. I love that. That is so powerful. You know, there's something that I've been hearing or seeing on social media here and there. A lot of people in Israel, even Jews, quite frankly, all over the world, a couple of them have mentioned lately that our Messiah is coming. Our Messiah is coming. They see this. They actually see this, the, the, the course of events right now, as an opportunity for their Messiah to come. I know that we are waiting for the Messiah's return, but I don't think that the Messiah that they are waiting for or expect is the same Messiah. No, exactly. And, and remember, what did Jesus say in Matthew 24? He said, beware, many will come in my name. So remember, there's a warning about those who would who would get a counterfeit Messiah and and try to embrace that. So we, we see these warnings in Scripture. It says, And Jesus answered said, Take heed that no man deceive you, for many shall come in my name, saying, I am the Christ. Now remember, Christ is the Greek equivalent of Messiah of the Old Testament. So he was literally saying, many will say, I am the Messiah. Right. And it says, and will deceive many. So we can expect this to happen. And, and so not unusual at all. Um, and it, there's a reason why he's, he made reference there. He said, many will say, I'm the Christ. He's, he didn't say many will say, I am Jesus. This is not Jesus. This is Messiah. Jesus is the Messiah. But if you, if you embrace a false Messiah, then you're deceived. Interesting. Very good. Now, the days of Elijah, you see that happening before the rapture or when you look at the clock and you're looking at scripture. Do you see that happening? Because I'm going to tell you something. I always thought if Elijah's coming back and he's going to be preaching, I want to be there and hand him bottles of water and say, go, keep going. Don't stop. I, I just always wanted to see that, but I'm not sure if I do. I don't know if that's a good idea or not. But you see that the days of Elijah when when Elijah's going to come back, right? Yeah, and I think one of the really interesting things that's happening today is, uh, I mean, clearly this this is a passage from Malachi chapter 4, right. and, and it's talking about a restoring of things. I believe the gender fluidity of today the trying to erase image of God for yes. man and woman yes. is setting the stage for the return and the restoration of identity of men and women and the, and the return of family as we draw uh, close to the end of the age. For example, right now, Rose, one of the most phenomenal things I've ever seen in my whole ministry is what's happening right now in our church with men. We have more men's Bible studies than we have women's. We have more men worshiping than we have women. We just got back from our second year retreat with men, and I have never in my life seen anything like it. I mean, they are literally, in my mind, they're fulfilling this. We're seeing 
families reunited. We're seeing men being the men in their household. It's a very unusual day. And I think we're, we're right on that doorstep I think so, of this too. idea of the days of Elijah. Okay, when you, so when you say the days of Elijah, we're not necessarily talking about the time that he returns because he's meant to return. Is that right? Well, remember that Jesus said that John the Baptist was Elijah. He is a forerunner. But also, Malachi says, before the return, Elijah will return. So, so John was a type of Elijah who was coming. Okay. Well, are we expecting now, the true Elijah? Because he didn't die a physical death, right? Right. So, uh, so here's the other. So, all of these things are, you know, they're they're a little so bit like clay. You have to kind of, you know, you have to kind of mold them a little bit and try to say, let me try to figure this one out. So. In the book of Revelation, during the tribulation period, there are three witnesses that come. Yes. There's the witness of the 144,000 Jewish evangelists. Okay, There's the witness of the angel that flies around the globe with the everlasting gospel. And then there are the two witnesses. And the miracles they perform look like the miracles of Elijah and the miracles of Moses. So it very well could be that the ultimate fulfillment, they say, yeah, Elijah's going to come. When? He's going to come in the book of Revelation, because remember, the tribulation is is for the Jews primarily. It's called the day of Jacob's trouble in Jeremiah. But I think that if you've ever been at a train station, the conductor in the old days used to say the train's here. But he would say it when the engine arrived, but not all the train was there. Same thing with the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is here, but it's not all here yet. I like that. Same thing with Elijah. Elijah's here, but the fulfillment of all of that is not all here yet. There's a sense in which you're saved, but you're not completely saved because you're not glorified yet. Oh, this is so good. My goodness, I think I have to have you again. There are a few things I did want to run by you, though, and, and I am going to have you on again. I noticed the other day on the radio when I was talking about what was going on in Israel, I was shocked Pastor Phil, to find that there were so many in the audience that were unsupportive of Israel, who were sympathetic to, I was actually shocked. I'm just, I didn't expect that. I did not expect the number of calls telling me that they really weren't all that supportive of Israel. They felt that this was an apartheid on their part where where Palestinians were concerned. They felt that one woman actually called me and said, I think Benjamin Netanyahu knew this was coming because everyone knows they have such a great intelligence, right? The Israeli intelligence, even ours supposedly is so good. And by the way, that goes to what you said the last time I had you on. The things are not falling apart. They are falling in place. But the fact that they got away with it just tells me that that's just more evidence of things falling into place. But we can talk about that, too, in a sec. But the other thing I want to mention is that I think that people are not as sympathetic as I thought they might be towards Israel. And I found that shocking. There's a couple of reasons for that. Number one is, unfortunately, the pastors, by and large, across America, and I'm not saying every one of them, but many of them, they reject the idea that Israel— uh, or the Jews have a place today, and they they practice something called replacement theology. That says that the Jews are no longer His people. The covenants are no longer in place. That we are now. God works solely with the church, made up of Jews and Gentiles. So part of it is a theological thing that most people in the in the audience don't even pick up. The other side of it is just a lack of history. 
It's very interesting that the word Palestine does not appear in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, or in the Quran. That's kind of interesting, isn't it? Yes. So why not? Well, because the origin of the word was actually taken as a term of derision used by the Romans of the Philistines. So the Philistines were these people that were closely related to the Greeks linguistically, but historically with Arabia. So there never has been a Palestinian people. There's never been a king. There's never been a language. These are Arabs. And they were living in this, and, and the area that, that the Romans were referring to was the area of Gaza. And so they called them Palestinians. But remember, you just don't find them. They also, people don't have knowledge that the land grant given to Abraham goes back thousands of thousands of years before Christ. And that land grant was given the, all the land over to the Tigris Euphrates, to the south of the Salton Sea, to the west of the Mediterranean and to the north, which would be Hamath. And um, so you've got, you've got basically a land grant. All of that was Abraham's. So a lot of people say, well, the poor Palestinians. Well, there are no poor Palestinians. There are Arabs, but the Jews, if anything, have been more gracious to that group yeah. um, than anybody else ever would have and probably should have. And so it, it's, it's, kind of a, it, it, it's kind of ironic that people who call themselves Christians don't even know their Bibles. Yes, I agree with you. I agree with you. You know what? I would love to have you come back and talk about this. Listen to this. Why don't we talk about the, you mentioned the counterfeit Messiah, but let's do a podcast on all the counterfeits going back to when it all began. And at, well, when this began, this conflict, and that is when Abraham did not believe God. And we had Ishmael, who was not the, the, the son of the promise. It wasn't the child of the promise. It was a counterfeit to Isaac. Someday I'd love to just like how that has all kind of developed and we see what we are seeing today. Would you agree with that? Oh, absolutely. That yeah. Abraham, created, Abraham, Abraham created this problem. He sure did. Basically, he created it. You know, it was all a zipper problem. <laughs> That's what I said to someone today. She said, well, you know, he just, they, he just really wanted yeah. to challenge. said he just couldn't keep it in. Okay. She said, oh no, she blamed it on Sarah. I said, no, 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 yeah. no, no, no. <laughs> They, they couldn't it couldn't have happened without Abraham. Sorry. <laughs> well, and and remember that that Genesis prophecy about Ishmael. It says that they will live uh, with their as Based. a neighbor to their relative, and the sons of Ishmael will never be will always be wild and at odds with the sons of Abraham. Yes. So that's why I think we'll never have peace in the Middle East. No, we won't. Impossible. It's impossible. And there was when because I start with my Bible. See, if people start with their Bible. That's why I don't understand why people start with the news feeds or they start with philosophy. If, if you're a Christian, start with your Bible and quit playing this game because here's what happened. And here's the danger of it. The Bible says in the latter days, people will give heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of demons. What's a doctrine of a demon? Doctrine of a demon denies uh, the validity of God's word and supplants it with the word of man. That's a doctrine of a demon. Mm. Writing that down, taking notes, Pastor Phil, taking notes. We're talking to Pastor Phil Hotzenpiller, and he is the author of the new book, Midnight in America. But you should Google him or go on Amazon and find out what other books he has available, because obviously there's so much more to this. And he's written about it in previous books. You want to give a plug for your other books and then where they can find them. 
Yeah, I think Amazon has all of them. I'm, I mean, I've written 10 books, but uh, I'm most excited about my newest one, Midnight in America, because I really address um, in, a, in a, an entire chapter, where is American biblical history? That's the most asked question uh-huh. I have had ever since I started teaching on the book of Revelation and end time events. And I answer that question, in, in, and I think in a pretty thorough way, in addition to a lot of other great information, like I've even had a chapter on there, should we prep or is it, or is it preparation? Yes. And, and so I, I deal with that, and I think in a really good way, I, I balance it with the Sermon on the Mount and how we trust in God and how you can balance that as, a, as being prepared versus prepping and what's the difference. So we have some really interesting chapters that I think people are going to love and, and really kind of be able to sink their teeth in. Oh, I love it. I do. So we're talking about today, we talked a lot about what was in one nation without law, the rise of lawlessness, the end times and the power of hope. And then the book that will be coming out in a couple of months, but you can pre-order now. I did. And that title is It's Midnight in America, Confront Fear and Embrace Courage as the Final Hour Approaches. Pastor Phil, thank you so much for joining me again today. Man, that was compelling. I loved it. I loved every minute of it. Great. Thank you so much, Rose. Good to be with you. Thank you. Take care.